This morning, we are going to talk about the presence of the Lord, and we are going to start with Hebrews 12.2. So if you have your Bible, please open to Hebrews 12.2. And this scripture is really going to be woven throughout this sermon. So please just get it in your mind, in your hearts. I believe God really wants to speak to you today through this particular passage. So let's see if we have it up on the screen. Otherwise, I can read it from my notes. Okay, Hebrews 12, 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That's the part I really want you to hone in on this morning. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, so he scorned its shame. He didn't necessarily look forward to going to the cross, right? But he endured it for the joy set before him. What was that joy set before him? What happened in the temple when Jesus took his last breath? The veil was torn. There was a veil in the temple, and it separated the most holy place where the presence of the Lord dwelt from the rest of the temple. And when he took his last breath, that veil tore. And that's symbolic. It signified that whereas before his death, only the high priest could enter the most holy place. Now it tore. We all can enter his presence, go straight to God, Anytime we want to. And that was the joy set before him. Not just seeing that veil tear, but knowing that God the Father, his children, can actually have a relationship with him. Because it is impossible to have a relationship with someone without communicating with that person, right? And and at its very basic level, that's what prayer is. It's talking to God. So Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. So I want you to think about then, when you go to God in prayer, how much joy it brings Jesus when we do that. That's what helped him endure the cross, right? Going to the Father. So think about how much joy it brings him when we go in in prayer and talk to him and engage in that relationship that we have with him. So the joy it brings Jesus. Now I want you to think about the joy that it brings the Heavenly Father when we come and talk to him. Because he was the one who sent his son to that death. Think of how hard that was. But he did it for the joy as well. Most of us are familiar with the parable of the prodigal son. If you're not, um, just in short, uh, the, the father in that parable, which Jesus told, represents Father God in heaven. And the son decided to ask for his inheritance early. And um, he went off and he squandered his wealth just on sinful living, um, disgraced his father. And then when he was in the pig slop, he decided, you know, it'd be better just to go and live with my father as his servant than stay here in this pig slop. And so he was coming back home. And sometimes that's how we feel in prayer. We may not have gone off and squandered our inheritance necessarily with sinful living, but we all sin, 
right? Only Jesus is perfect. And sometimes I know when I go to him in prayer, it's that condemnation is that barrier. But we know, as Pastor Ryan told us, Jesus gave us a gift, and that's his righteousness for each and every one of us. But what I also want you to think about when you even think about talking to God or going to him in prayer, I want you to think about the father in that parable. What did he do when he saw his son coming back? Remember, Jesus told this for a reason, not just a nice story, but he wanted to give us a picture of Father God. What is it like when we come to him? Well, the Bible says the father actually ran, arms wide open, ready to embrace him with a big smile on his face. And I want you to keep that picture in your mind so that when you just go and you think about just talking to God, I want that picture to be in our minds. So we accurately know, because the devil, of course, wants us to think differently, but so that we have a true picture of how God responds when we come to him. And if you think of it that way, which is the truth, I know we all would be more apt to pray more, wouldn't we? When we think of just the joy we're bringing Jesus, the joy we're bringing Father God and just talking to him. I know I'd be more apt to pray more if I really keep that picture in my mind. Psalm 1611 states, You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So we too are filled with joy when we come into his presence. He has joy, we have joy. The question is, How do we come into his presence? Well, God says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That is in the word. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So a better question than thinking about it as, well, how do I come into the presence of God? Is how do we make ourselves more aware of his presence in our lives? Because he never leaves us. So it's not a matter of getting into his presence. It's really a matter of just how do do I make myself more aware that he is already here with me? And as I pondered that, the word magnify came to mind. Um, As I was a little kid, we'd often sing songs in church about magnifying the Lord and We don't hear that word in church quite as often anymore. At first, it sounded a little old school, a little kind of King James-ish version to me. But, you know, when we think about that word magnify, it really is so important. Because, well, for example, I brought up a magnifying glass. Now, what does a magnifying glass do? If I were to put this over the words on my notes, how do my words look to me? They look... Bigger, right? They look bigger. So a magnifying glass makes things look bigger. And we are told in the word over and over to magnify the Lord. Remember, God always has a reason for telling us to do something. But it's impossible to make God really any bigger than what he already is, right? We can't make God bigger. We can't make him more loving, We can't make him greater or more faithful because God is love. God is all-powerful. Amen? 
But what we can do and what happens when we magnify him is we change our perspective. When we just, and, and you know, this can be done at any time throughout the day as you're driving in the car or I often do it as I'm washing dishes. You know, you just start speaking his praises, who he is, and how he is bigger than your cares or your concerns. And one thing that has helped me over the years is the book of Psalms, because King David just profusely magnified the Lord in the book of Psalms. So sometimes if you feel like, God, you are good, God, you are great, you know, you're really big, kind of like that guy in, um, when Pastor Ryan had, I think it was his first sermon on, um, on prayer, and you're just searching to know more about him. You know, if you just read the Psalms intermittently and get that down inside of you, it really helps us to get a, a bigger picture of his love. It reaches past the clouds, you know, his faithfulness, and it just gets down in you. And then when you come to magnify him, it, it comes out, and he becomes and he already is. But in your mind, he becomes bigger than your problems or your cares. And that really helps you to be aware of his presence around you. So we want to magnify him. Um, magnifying the Lord and enjoying his presence takes time. We have to invest some time into enjoying his presence and to magnifying the Lord. And often that, that'll cause a question to arise. Well, how much time do I have to invest in God's presence? And that's even a bad way to phrase it. Do I have to? It's a joy. It's a privilege. But you know, I, I've heard this. Well, how much time? How long should my quiet time be? What does that look like? And, um, Recently, God gave me an illustration, actually using my relationship with Ryan. And it's such a good illustration because there's no legalism in it, but it doesn't leave room for laziness either. And um, as I was thinking about uh, Ryan and my relationship, typically in the evening, our kids go to bed around 8. <clears throat> and we enjoy a picked-up house. All the toys are put away, and it's quiet and um, usually then we'll sit down and we'll talk. You know, some nights it's just 15 to 20 minutes. Um, some nights it's an hour and a half. That's a bit more rare. But we sit down and we talk. And it's uninterrupted conversation. And we really enjoy that time. Um, we'll have conversation throughout the day too. But usually it's quick. You know, I might call him at work. But I respect his work goals. And, you know, it's just get out the information. And it's just just quick stuff. At the dinner table, we usually try to use dinner time more so to engage our older two in conversation. So we're either doing that or um, or really we're just eating as fast as we can because with our younger two, we're like, let's just eat before there's another interruption. I want to get this food in before I have to get something for somebody else. So we really don't talk that much at the dinner table. And so we enjoy those those quiet times at night when we talk. All right. Well, let's say we've got something going on. I might have something going on one night. Ryan might, and we don't get our talk time. You know what? That's life. No big deal. We're okay. Two nights go by. We're okay. Three nights, you know that little brief conversations during the day? They're not as effective. 
because we're running a household together and, you know, we're not sure of schedules and, and we're not real connected and we're, you know, I'm more apt to be snippy and, and, and as I thought about this, so, so coming into that third night, now we've learned to be aware. We're like, oh, we've had, you know, a busy week. We haven't had our talk times and we're like on alert. We're aware. We need to connect. Okay. And then God spoke to me, how much more so do I need to be aware when I haven't engaged in a longer conversation with God? Because I do a lot of those brief prayers and magnifying him throughout my day, washing dishes, driving in the car, what have you. And that's good. It's that continual knowing that he's there and it's good. But I also need some uninterrupted time where I just come to him and I open my Bible and I read the word and pray and, and listen or Maybe some mornings I get up and I'm really tired, and but I just want to enjoy his presence, so I just lay on the couch and put on a worship CD. And I can keep my eyes closed, but I'm listening to the songs on that worship CD, and I'm just enjoying his presence while I'm resting before the kids get up. You know, and so how much more do I need to be aware if two, three, four days have gone by and I haven't been in a longer conversation with the Lord. Because see, in relate your relationship with God, intertwined with that is your life. And he has the good plans for your life. And he promises to, to direct and guide your steps. And sometimes it just takes that longer time in his presence to receive that. Does that make sense to you guys? So there's no legalism in that, but it's a relationship. And to be aware if you've gone a while, it's it's kind of like I know if, if I've gone a while and, and I haven't just invested time in his presence. Remember those old V8 commercials where if the person hasn't had their veggies, they're walking sideways and they're just walking along, but they're sideways. Do you guys remember those? That's kind of what it's like. And what's sad to say is there's many Christians who are kind of walking along and doing life sideways and tilted with the wrong perspective because they haven't just taken that time just to enjoy his presence and to hear from him. And then, you know, when they drink the V8, bam, they're straight up and they're on the, you know what I mean? That picture just came to my mind. So getting into his presence. Let's take a look at Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15 and 16. Because this really, uh, really describes what we're talking about here. It's one of my favorite passages. Isaiah 30, 15 and 16. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. <clears throat> oh, I think it's turned around a little bit. Did we get that printed correctly? Let me just read it from my notes, okay? Because I believe verse 15 starts with this. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. That is talking about investing time in his presence. I'm going to read it again. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses. 
therefore you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses, therefore your pursuers will be swift. And in life today, it just made me so think of what it's life, what it's like to do life today. God's offering us enjoyment and rest and direction and help in his presence. But yet in all of us is this need to know we're going to do it on our own and they're going to ride these swift horses. They're going to exert that energy, but it's not doing them any good because then their pursuers are going to be swift. So it's like us saying to God, no, I've got too much on my agenda today. I've got to go, 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 go. But I think sometimes what we're like when we do that is like we're gerbils running on wheels and we're going around and around and we're running really fast and I've got so much to do and I'm going to get it done. But are we getting anywhere? We may think that we're getting somewhere, right? But you know, a little bit later, we're going to talk about the parable of the vine and the branches. And in that parable, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So we think that we can do good, but see, he, he measures things by their eternal value. And our time here on earth is so short in comparison with eternity. But I think that we all battle that unless I'm alone, that need to, oh, I've got to get this to-do list, got to check it off, check it off, check it off, because more is going to come. And, you know, just running on that wheel. Am I alone or do you guys battle that too? So it's hard to just stop, just stop. But I want to continue down actually to verse 18. If we have verse 18. Yet the Lord, even so, when we struggle with that, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. Remember that word picture from the beginning? The father running with his arms wide open. Okay, this is another great word picture for you. Father God on the throne, you come to him. He rises off that throne to show you compassion. And so often that's just what we need when we come to him is compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. And what I want to give to you and to me on a deeper level this morning is an accurate picture of when what it's like when we come to him, him rising up off the throne to give you compassion so that when our enemy and when just our own human nature says, no, we've got to keep going, keep going, keep going, that we'll say, no, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop and I'm going to enjoy the presence of the Lord and I'm going to prioritize that in my schedule. Because I think that if we knew, if we could see with spiritual eyes when we stop and we're just Still, you know, um, it says in Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. And when we do that, if we could see in the spiritual realm all the activity going on, I think it would satisfy that need for productivity. We don't see it. That's faith. But when we're still, we, know, we just say, God, you're above all my circumstances. You're above my cares. I know you love me, and I'm just going to be still. There is so much going on in the spiritual realm that we may not see the fruit of it for a while, so it doesn't satisfy that immediate need to, oh, check it off on my list today. 
okay? And it's more than that. But yet, I, I like to think about that too if I'm struggling to know, hey, there's more getting done right now than I could ever get done. And it's also just the privilege of coming and enjoying his presence, what Jesus died to give us. In Matthew 11, <clears throat> Jesus invites us to come to him. But in John uh, chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus invites us to abide in him. And the word abide speaks of a continual, unbroken union. I love that parable of the vine and the branches, and I've meditated on it quite a bit since I've come to know the Lord because it's such a beautiful picture. Jesus says that he is the vine and we are the branches. And we know that if a branch is cut off from the vine, that branch will die, right? Every source of nutrient is coming from the vine into the branches. So when Pastor Ryan asked me to speak on this a couple weeks ago, I immediately thought of John um, 15 when it talked about this parable. And I knew that would be a part of the sermon. So I believe it was two weeks ago, a lady in church... God just knows. He's just so faithful to um, just to give us the confidence and the reassurance that we're on the right track. But a lady in this church came up to me after service, and she said, you know, Hope, God just put on my heart to give you this book. It's called Scouting the Divine. And as I looked at it, I, I read the title, and it, it um, <clears throat> also says, My Search for God in Wine, Wool, and Wild Honey. And right away, I had John 15 on my mind, so I kind of honed in on the wine. And um, sure enough, as I, as I went through this book, there's a significant portion dedicated to exploring more of that parable. And what's interesting is the author of this book actually went to a vineyard and interviewed an owner of a vineyard just to get kind of a, a deeper sense of what Jesus was telling us in the parable of the vine and branches. So I'm just going to read to you two brief passages. Um, the first is actually talking about, and, and you know, for some reason, and it's okay, but in reading that parable, I always thought more about Jesus as the vine and we as the branches, and that's good, but I didn't give much thought to the role that Father God played, and this book helped me with that. <clears throat> so it's set up actually as an interview between the author and the owner of the vineyard. But of all the titles, Jesus gives his father the title of the vine dresser, and that's the one who prunes or sculpts the vine. Over the course of pruning, you make a series of very precise, strategic cuts that will produce the healthiest, most robust vines, which highlights just how intimately God is involved in our lives, and also how God handles each of us differently. That's why a vine dresser looks at each vine carefully. Every vine is unique. Remember, we're the vines. Even two vines planted next to each other may require significantly different pruning in order to produce fruit. The vine is the source of everything for the branch. This is Jesus. Every nutrient, every life-giving drop of water, every hint of growth. The branch is completely dependent on the vine. But even in those moments when I grow wild or unbalanced, 
We all have those moments, right? Even in those moments when I grow wild or unbalanced, God is faithful as vine dresser to perform all the cuts I need to remain fruitful. So in that place where I am abiding in Christ under the watchful eye of the Father, I can trust that the Father will be pruning those areas and desires in my life that don't line up with where he wants me to go. You know, we could read 20 self-help books and exert a whole lot of willpower, and that wouldn't even compare with the gentle pruning of our Father when we rest in his presence. And when we do that, it just makes us more pliable, more moldable in his hands, because we're not, real, we're not in charge of our lives. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is molding us and forming us into who he wants us to be, who he's planned for us to be. And um, I thought of an example last night, actually, of just a recent time that I was pruned in my life. And, um, oh, I don't know, it was maybe about a month or so ago, and I woke up with a dream. And I knew that the dream was from the Lord. And I didn't like the dream, but I loved the fact that he talked to me through a dream. I thought, that is so cool, even though I don't like this dream. And um, what it was is it was a horse being um, led, and whoever was driving that horse, in order to get that horse to turn, they really had to pull pretty hard on those reins. Each way, they just, oh, just pull hard on those reins. So I woke up, and I knew it had something to do with submission. But I thought okay, I'm doing really good in that area, so I don't quite get this. I kind of filed it away because I'm doing good in that area. I've grown in that area. So I thought, so cool. I knew it was from God, but kind of filed it away because I'm like, God, I'm doing good in that area. But that night, Ryan and I were talking, and he said to me, (sighs) he doesn't know I'm going to share this. He said to me, Hope, you think that you're easy to lead, but you're not. <sighs> and I, I am smiling right now. But at that time, <laughs> just this rage hit me. It was just rage. And I said something very bad to him, just very, very bad. And it kind of like jolted me a little bit like, oh, that was bad. And then... I thought of the dream that I had that morning. And I knew that God had given me that dream because without it, I probably would have continued just to say bad stuff to Ryan and left because, oh, but he gave me that dream. So he is faithful because I was thinking, man, God, you know, small strategic cuts. That was a large one. (laughs) Yet, yet. He was faithful because he knows what we can handle. Remember it said, you know, he won't prune you too much or you might die. I mean, he knows. He knew I couldn't handle it without that dream from him saying, you know what? Your husband's on the right track here. And after I realized that, it helped the rage go down a little bit, but I was still experiencing it. And I thought, I thought, okay, God, you know, I was still very emotional, but I thought, I, I know you prune in order to produce fruit. And as I said earlier, our lives here, and the Bible says this, they're so short. Just sometime as you're in his presence, think about eternity. 
Think about forever and ever and ever and never ending. And then, and then think about how short it is here. I mean, I think we've all realized that, you know, I'm only 33, but just as I get older, I'm like, man, it's going by so fast. My kids are growing so fast. And as I talk to older people, they're like, enjoy your kids because it goes by so fast. And so the fruit, though, that we have here affects all of eternity, all of eternity. And Father God prunes us so that we produce more fruit. So I thought in my mind, I was just silent, but I thought, God, more than anything, I want to produce fruit for you. I love you. I want my life here to count, to be meaningful, to have impact, eternal impact. So I'm going to hear my husband out. And, you know, as he sensed that change in me, he became more gentle. And that was a hard way to start it. But he became more gentle and just showed me some things. And although I had grown a lot in that area, God was saying there's still room for growth. And I received, you know, I received that pruning. Um, and he does it because he loves us. I mean, just think he knows what's good for us. As we, as parents say that to their kids, when your kids just aren't getting it, you're like, I'm doing this because I love you, because I know it's good for you and they don't get it. And that's kind of like how it is with father God, but we just need to trust him. He sent his son to die for us because he loves us so much and time in his presence, just investing in him. It does help you to become more moldable and pliable. So when those pruning times come, you recognize the hand of God in it. And you just um, you just continue living the life that he's planned for you, but you don't miss it. You live that the life he's planned for you, the good plans that he has for you. But you know it all starts with being connected to the vine, Right? And the vine is Jesus. So let's just bow our heads together. <clears throat> Father God, we come to you and we love you, God. And I just thank you, Lord, for being here with us today. We acknowledge your presence with us today. I thank you that no matter if we feel alone, we are never, never alone because you are always with us. And right now, I just want to ask if there is anyone in this room who hasn't invited the Lord to live within their heart, who hasn't received his, his call to come to me, to abide in me. Maybe they're hearing it in a deeper way for the first time today, and they just want to say yes. If that's you and you want to say yes, I ask that you raise your hand this morning. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, the invitation is always there. It is always open, always, no matter what. There is no condemnation in Christ. You are always calling forth. Come to me. Abide in me. I just ask that you repeat this prayer along with me. Lord God. I acknowledge you as my Savior. I acknowledge you as my Lord. I surrender to your will for my life. 
I love you, God. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.